If you listen to Jordan Peterson at all, you've probably heard him talk about the integration of the shadow or accepting the shadow. This is an idea he picked up from Carl Jung. But to any Christian listening, the integration of the shadow or integration of evil may sound concerning. Is this an approval or an acceptance or even a willing of evil? What is integration of the shadow? And can a Christian accept this idea? Welcome to the Monday Muse. I'm Lee Benson. Remember, you can ask me a question and I will answer it on the podcast. You can ask me by emailing me at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. If there are any topics you want me to cover for the Monday Muse, you can email me there. Before we begin, remember to like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the things, tell all your friends and family, help me to appease the fickle and pernicious algorithm gods. Also, I'd like to hear your comments about today's topic, so please let me know what you think in the comments. I do actually read those comments and I try to respond to them. So please let me know what you think. So today we are talking about the integration of the shadow or integration of evil. This is a topic that Father Victor White covers in his book, Soul and Psyche. So we're back to talking a little bit about a chapter from that book. I will not be discussing too much of Jung's understanding of evil because it would be out of the scope of this particular episode. And it's also very complex and confusing. I'm currently writing my thesis partly on Jung's conception of evil, and it's very different than the traditional philosophical or orthodox Christian understanding of evil, which I will get into right now. So before we delve into the broader topic, we should get some definitions down. So from a traditional philosophical understanding, evil is part of what we call the privation of the good or the privatatio boni. Jung talked a lot about this in his writings. But for the Christian, evil is a privation or a deprivation, the absence or lack of a good. So privation is a negation that takes place in two forms. Something may lack something that is improper to its nature. This is a negation. Or something may lack something proper to its nature. This is privation. So we may think of a deer that lacks wings. That would be negation. It's not proper to the nature of a deer to have wings. So since it doesn't have wings, that's just a simple negation. You know, we might say that humans don't have wings. That's just a negation. But in the second sense, we would say that an eagle that doesn't have wings is suffering a privation. That is, wings are, are proper to the nature of, e of eagles. And since eagle does not have these wings, it is suffering a real privation that, is, that belongs to its nature. But that's not the same case for the deer. This is what we would call the evil of things or ontological evil. The evil of things calls attention to the fact that evil must have a subject. Evil considered abstractly is non-existent because absence or lack of evil in its concrete form doesn't exist. Evil always is in relation to an existent, to a, a real being. And it is through this existent, through this real being, that evil is known. Ontological evil is the evil of things and of actual existence. And in that existence, it falls short of the kind of being it's supposed to be. So evil is a lack of a good, which is natural to that being. Again, we might say that the eagle not having wings is an evil for that eagle because it lacks something natural to it. It lacks something that it ought to have. 
and this is evil. Part of Jung's critique of privatatio boni, which is recognized by Father White and is to a certain extent true, that privatatio boni, the privation of the good, is a product of conscious reflection. That it's a it's a product of intellectual analysis and not immediate sense experience. Even Thomas Aquinas himself recognizes that to the unreflecting apprehension of the the psyche, the privation which is evil has the character, as he says, the character of a certain kind of entity, and it is a positive contrary. So what he's saying is we, to the unreflecting intellect, the immediate experience of evil is experienced as a concrete thing, as an entity, not as a absence or lack of something. Furthermore, what we can say is that psychological apprehension of and reactions to evil are reacting to them as real psychological realities, as a positive contrary. One example of this we might say is darkness might be a privation or absence of light, but it doesn't change the child's terror of the dark. That terror of the dark is a very real thing. For Jung, the shadow belongs to the archetypes. It's the, sh the shadow archetype, and, and for all and all archetypes have a positive and a negative element to them. They're not wholly bad or wholly good. So if you think of the mother archetype, you have the devouring mother, the evil mother, dark mother, but then you also have the good mother. Same thing with the father, tyrannical father, or good king. So same thing with the shadow. In the shadow, which we usually think of as negative, it's also the place of potentiality, that there's perhaps good things that are hiding in the shadows. And that's why you have to go and search them out and bring them to light to activate and actualize the potentials in the shadow. But generally speaking, the shadow is the, the dark side of the psyche, as he calls it. It contains all the things that the ego deems unacceptable. Now, merely because most of us are unconsciously Freudians, we think that unacceptable things that we've pushed away must be the socially unacceptable things or the morally unacceptable things. And of course, there is some truth to that. There are immoral elements that we we like to push out of our consciousness. However, that's not exactly it. That that's part of it. But it could just be it could be other things that we just don't think fits with our persona. Jung has a famous quote where he says, "Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it becomes. If it is repressed and isolated from consciousness, and it never gets corrected, it is li liable to burst forth suddenly." in a moment of unawareness. At all events, it forms an unconscious snag, blocking the most well-meaning attempts. So for him, the first thing that a patient must do is become conscious of his or her shadow. It is a personality component that usually has a negative sign, as I said, but not always, but it's an inferior personality that is made up of everything that will not fit in or will not adapt to the laws and regulations of conscious life. Father White notes that the shadow was, for St. Paul, the law in his members, the fighting against the law of his mind. So his flesh versus his mind. It's the sin that dwells in me, that the good I will to do, I do not do, and the, and the evil which I wish not to do, I do. It's, the again, the unconscious snag, as Carl Jung said. Father White also points out that it's the, the way of the mystics. It's the purgative way that without which we cannot get illumination or union. There's the three steps in the mystical tradition of purgative, illuminative, and unitive. And the first step is always to purge our our sins that keep us from moving forward in the spiritual life. So 
part of this recognition of the sh- of the shadow and bringing the shadow to light is the purgative way. Father White notes some very important distinctions, he says, between something called malum re and malum actionis. So it's malum re, the badness of a thing, or malum actionis, which is the bad functioning of a thing, the badness of its functioning. So he gives an example of a car. He said, if my car does not go and it malfunctions, that's a badness of action. If it's due to some disorder in the engine, that's the badness of a thing. And he says, both of these phenomenon are privations of the good. They're supposed to be functioning well and running well, but they don't have that component, therefore they're a privation. He said, in this case, there's the absence of good order and the absence of running well for the car. He says, if one is to correct a bad behavior or to correct this problem in the car, he says, I must in effect supply its good working order which is absence. So in order to do that, I have to first know what the disorder is. So in order to supply the privation, we have to come to the recognition of what's causing the disorder, what's causing the privation. He makes a careful distinction. All of this I must discover, and in this sense of knowing what is the matter, I must accept it. So by knowing that my engine in my car is the problem, I accept that that's the problem. But he says that if I accept the disorder in sense of liking it or approving it or willing it, then nothing will ever get done, that the car will continue to malfunction. If I find out that my car is not running because of its engine, I can accept that and say, okay, that's the problem, but then I have to fix it. If I accept it just and say, well, that's just the way the car is, nothing gets fixed and the car will continue never to never run. So he says in this sense, it's hard to see how one can integrate the disorder. For in fact, the disorder is a type of disintegration, that the badness of the car, the badness of a behavior will remain. The evil will not be overcome by any good, but by the restoration of the absence of the good. So we can't simply accept the privations and and move on. We have to recognize the the privation, know what they are, accept that they exist, and then supply the absence. So from here, we can switch over to the human context. He says the the human context of the psyche. The badness of a thing becomes the evil we undergo, he says, or the, the evil of our actions becomes the evil that we do. So this distinction is very important, he says, because the faulty behavior is due to faulty being. And faulty being might be because of faulty behavior. That man is not a machine, that man can voluntarily correct his behavior, but he can only voluntarily correct his behavior by supplying the privation of a bad will. I do bad things because of a a disordered will. To correct that, I must find out what it is I'm willing that's a privation and supply that. You know, as Father White notes, in our theology, fallen man is a fundamentally, you know, disordered being, that he's in the condition of, of not being able to not sin. And we attribute this to original sin. There's always a temptation to act contrary to what we know is good. As I mentioned before, the contents of the shadow for Jung are not wholly bad or evil, and they cannot not be wholly bad or evil, for their badness is found to result from some something they lack and of that which they have been deprived, which is consciousness themselves, is the things in, in the shadow almost by definition lack or their, their fundamental privation is consciousness, that they, they dwell in the unconscious and we're not aware of them. So they, at the, at the very least, lack consciousness. So sometimes their privations can come from or be intensified by their involuntariness, that the fact that they, they do not rise to the level of consciousness. 
there's certainly a level that development of the shadow is actually part of normal functioning. In order for us to properly interact with our environments, there are some contents of our ego that are unacceptable and they have to go, they have to go somewhere. So for Jung, they form this complex of the shadow, that it, it belongs just to the, the differentiating of the psyche and the idea that, you know, I can't just live however I want. There are some things that I have to, to put away that goes into the shadow just through normal functioning. It's not necessarily a, an evil repression of these contents. It's just simply there are certain behaviors that are expected in society and culture. Naturally, a shadow will form. So these contents, by reason of their privation of consciousness, will sometimes issue in unacceptable behavior and may express themselves and spontaneous images or fantasies or dreams, projections. And what happens here is then these become hostile to the ego, to our conscious self. And these contents become enemies of our of our egos, ideals, and dreams and, and attributes. And this sort of fills us with distress, is that we have this part of us that is that is lurking beneath the surface that wants to come to the surface and disrupt our our peaceful life of the ego and perhaps even the naive and innocent life of the ego. So what happens here is that there's great difficulties of integrating these contents because they are seen as evil and they're seen as a threat to my my consciousness and, and the persona I have developed. But if we look at them and we realize from a traditional philosophical analysis, there must be some real or supposed good in the object. Because for action to take place at all, we only will that which is good or that which appears to be good. Even in these elements which we have suppressed and said that they're not good, there must be some idea of goodness in them, even if it's apparent or misguided. Thus, Father White notes that psychological experience shows that there's a constantly a integration of the shadow, that this means a progressive recognition that there is some good, often a vitally important good that is contained in the shadow. And it's usually seen that these positive contents are good. But what made them bad was that they suffered, in some sense, from privations from the ego, that they were pushed out. But but in looking at the shadow, sometimes Victor White notes is that what we come to realize is that perhaps it wasn't the shadow that was the problem, but it's actually our, our ego that was, that it's our, our conscious life that thought it was wholly good, but the shadow was all evil. And in fact, there's maybe an ambiguity between the two. So Father White's opinion is that there can be no integration of the shadow except to the extent that the privations of good are supplied for. How he understands it and how traditional philosophy understands it is that integration cannot mean the addition of evil to good, as sometimes is maybe implied by Jung. That what is suppressed or rejected is the privation of some good in what is essentially good. Undergirding all of this is the idea that being itself is good. Being and goodness are synonymous. So what he he's trying to say is when we look at the renunciation that Christians are supposed to make of the world and the renunciation of the flesh, he's saying that we're not re renouncing our, our flesh wholly. God came in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. So the flesh can't be something that's entirely rejected. Now the same thing with the world, that Jesus Christ chose to come to this world. So this world that he, he chose to create and and to deem to come down to cannot be wholly bad. When we say that we reject the world and we, we reject the flesh, we're rejecting those evil, those bad aspects of it, those evil aspects of it, but not the good or the essential goodness of the world. Father White notes that the practices, the rites, the rituals, the teachings of the church 
are articulated and calculated to prevent unconsciousness and repression of evil. It's actually in the ritual and the tr- and the teachings of the church that we're supposed to to recognize evil, not suppress it. He particularly talks about the baptism rite. He says that arouses awareness of evil and that and the Christian opposition to evil. It's not an opposition to what he calls an integral part of reality or or psychic wholeness, but it's the opposition of privation of the world or to the forces that would deprive it. So for Jung, evil is part of wholeness. It's or and it's part of the world. It's an integral part. You know, in order to make a whole, you have to have, you know, in his mind, two halves. You have good and evil. But what Victor White is trying to argue is that for the Christian, we're, we're not opposing evil because it's an integral part of the world, but in fact, it, because it's a privation of the integral part. It's, it's a disintegration, not an integration of the wholeness. So to bring this about, the church encourages anamnesis of evil, a remembrance of evil, particularly in personal forms. And, and how one's own personal faults and failings and inclinations bring about evil, and that these personal inclinations to evil should be kept in mind and kept conscious by self-examination and confession. And it's encouraged throughout the entire life of the Christian, that part of the reason why we go to confession is to bring about this examination of the ways in which we participate in our personal and cosmic disintegration of the world through evil. So Father White notes that to become conscious of the shadow is not to just become conscious or to recognize a mere objective knowledge of contents of the shadow or that that they should remain kind of a, an unrelated object of, of the subject. Again, it's as if we recognize that our car doesn't run because of the engine. And we just say, I know that that's an objective fact. My car doesn't run because of the engine, but it's not related to anything else, or I'm going to accept that and move on. It says that's not what becoming conscious of the shadow means. That for Jung, to become conscious of the shadow often means to be, to have an, an emotionally charged experience. That in order for the shadow contents to be assimilated, they have to be experienced in a, in a very emotional way. And this is because the shadow, again, is an inferior part of our personality. It's an inferior part of our psyches. So we can't just merely know about the shadow and know about the contents, but we have to become actually conscious. And oftentimes, strong emotional events or experiences bring those contents to light. So Father White poses the question, does this mean that the contents of our shadow, that the shadow or evil must be loved and perhaps even willed? And he says to answer this question, we have to consider the evil that we do, the sin versus the evil that we suffer. And he says that the evil that we do, the malum culpe, cannot be integrated because he says that by definition, sin is a privation of integration. That sin is actually a, a surrender of the good of the whole for a part. That sin disintegrates man. Again, man is fundamentally in many ways disordered. He's fallen. So sin cannot be something that by that I will and therefore gain greater integrity or greater wholeness. In fact, my sin contributes to my disintegration. Therefore, it should not on any account be loved or willed. But he says that this doesn't mean that sin has no account in our psyche or that it should be unrelated to us. He said, in fact, there should be a very definite attitude of the ego towards sin. And that is not one of acceptance, but it's one of rejection and and non-willing. And in fact, a, a contrition for evil that maybe we have done. 
regarding evil we have done, he said that there can actually be a indirect integration, perhaps, of this, or an indirect consequence of sin. He says that because that sin, because sin is wholly destructive of the good and it cannot be integrated, but indirectly, good can come of evil. And he thinks of Felix Culpa, the, the happy fault of Adam that we talk about in the, the Exalted, the truly necessary sin of Adam. And in Romans 6, where St. Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, although we do not sin so that grace may abound more, there can be indirect good that comes from past sin or recognition of our sins. That doesn't mean that we should continue to sin or to love them. But he says this is different than the evils we suffer. It is different because the evils the evils we suffer are contrary to our wills, that we do we do not will them. But it's here in the evil that we, we suffered contrary to what we will or the evil that we suffer because of other people. It is here that we're bidden to take up our cross, to accept them and with to accept them with full awareness that yes, they, they are evil and they're contrary to our wills, but that goodness may come of it. So how could we apply this to some of the things that Jordan Peterson has said, perhaps? He's talked about ways to develop your shadow. And he says, one is, he says, truth, to face the bitter truth about oneself. And I think and I think this fits what, what we said. Part of examination of conscience for the Christian is to face the bitter truth about yourself, to not make excuses for your sins, but to supply for the, the privation of your sin with doing good, with whatever the vices that you struggle with, you supply that vice with the virtue. When Peterson says that you should be a monster or that you should be meek, which he interprets as having a sword and knowing when to use it, what he means by this, from our understanding, is supplying the privations with the, the, the necessary good. That if you are someone who believes that cowardice is a virtue, that you couldn't commit acts of violence because you're so good, what he's saying is you should examine that and, and see that in truth, what's actually happening here is that you are making excuses for a privation, that you should supply your privation of cowardice with the necessary virtue of courage. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be this monster that goes out and fights, but you should realize that you possess this virtue, that you can use it when you need to. If we remember that privations are things that make a being less than the being should be. Then we realize that what Peterson is saying is we make excuses for our lack of being and that in fact our privations don't make us more of, of what we should be, but less. And so you should see where, where those are in your life. You should see that your resentments that you have are there because of, of not strength, but of weakness. And, and they, are, they exist in, in your being as something that subtracts from your being. Examine those in truth, don't make excuses for them, and supply the necessary opposite, supply the good. When you accept the fact that you're resentful, that does not mean that you accept that that's who you are, but you should know that you're resentful, accept that that's a truth about you, and then then supply the necessary good that is lacking. So perhaps in Jordan Peterson's language, having a privation is not a virtue. It's less than a being. So when he says when people boast about their lack of violence or something, he says that what they're boasting about is, is their privations, is how we would describe it, and not actually a virtue. When reading Jung or when reading or listening to Jordan Peterson and he talks about this integration of the shadow and integration of evil or, or becoming a monster, I think it's important to frame it in, in the way that we have. To integrate your shadow is to, to know and to accept and to supply what you're lacking. That it's not an integration in the sense of an, ex, of an acceptance and willing and loving of those things that you lack or, the, or loving evil or willing evil, certainly. Because again, evil makes us less than what we are supposed to be, less than a being. So what we're called to do is to, is to recognize, to know, and to supply.
that if you're someone who's prone to resentment, you should examine your conscience why you're why you are prone to resentment. And whatever that is, you can integrate it. You can integrate your resentment by making it whole, a part of your being, not in its privation, but in its opposite form, in its supplied good that contributes to a whole being that you're called to be. I feel like this is a much bigger topic than what I presented today, and I will probably revisit in the future. And especially if anybody comments or has more to say about this, I think I would like to revisit it, expand it a little bit more, maybe delve a little bit deeper into Jung's particular understanding of evil, which I said is different than the traditional philosophical understanding of evil, especially the one that we get from St. Augustine. But again, let me know what you think in the comments, and I will definitely read them, and I will respond to them. But let me know what you think, and I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening. <music>